I don't like it that they made all the pretty people win our round because it wasn't nice. I wasn't pretty. <laughs> so, you talk about that a lot. What? Like other people being pretty. I'm just fucking around. Pretty. Really? Yeah. Because if you fuck around about one topic enough. What? Nothing. I can write a joke about it. We're rifling through another person's baggage. Emotions. Not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into treacherous seas. Whose only boundaries are that of the human heart. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the, the baggage, baggage claim. I'm in a bad place in my art form. We've been over this. I know. Okay, all right. <laughs> Lion face, rawr, lemon face, ooh. Ah! It burns! <coughs> Hi, my name is Genevieve, and you are entering the baggage claim. This is a safe haven to tell your truth. Today we're going to be speaking with Chris Singleton. He is a cancer survivor, a local comic, a daytime chef, and a nighttime funny man, but an all-the-time dad. He will be performing September 16th, OK Bicycle Shop, and September 2nd at Mint, though the location is subject to change. So his work is noteworthy for its unabashed take on fatherhood and working-class life in America. Okay, so I've recently started dating this girl we met on an amazing website. You can download the app, it's called Pokemon Go. And uh, we come from two different backgrounds. Like, her dad is the vice president of Smith's Knife Sharpening Company, and my dad saved up money to go to a Billy Ray Cyrus concert. <laughs> like, all right, so the first time I went to meet her family, they started hiding all the good silverware in China. And the first time she met my family, I had to have a conversation with the roaches and rats. We're over in a corner, I'm like, look dude, I'm gonna need y'all to stay up for the night. And the biggest rat looked at me and he's like, motherfucker, it's Tuesday and we shoot dice on Tuesday. <laughs> you tell that bitch she can go somewhere else. But like, recognizing the level of white trash I come from, I come from two levels of white trash. There's my mom's Christian Pentecostal white trash, and then there's my dad's Native American white trash. And my dad's Native American white trash, he always told me to know how many white people are in one room with me at all times. And I went to Alabama public school and I can't count this high. And the other thing he taught me is always know that you have a circle. And white people took everything else from us, don't let them take your goddamn circle too. So this is my circle and you can't have it. Tell me. Did you really meet your girlfriend on Pokemon Go? That is that is that is definitely a true story. Um, we met at Langen Park. Uh, we were, all the Pokemon Go players are in a giant chat for where they can meet up and play. And she went to Krispy Kreme beforehand, and she showed up with two boxes of donuts, which the fat kid in me immediately got drawn to her. She has a twelve-year-old. His name's Aiden. He's a, a really cool kid. Uh, he started seventh grade this year. And I'm helping him through that. And I have a five-year-old. His name's Jack-Jack Jackson. And uh, he started kindergarten. And it's it's been an experience having a blended family, two different places, two different backgrounds, two different everything. Uh, her parenting style compared to my parenting style. She's very laid back, and I'm very, I want to see production quick, fast, and in a hurry. So everything's just different. Do you think that has to do with um, the class differences or maybe like your different upbringings, different parents? I think it's probably different upbringings. Uh, she's really laid back because her dad was an ex-Navy guy. He's very strict. Everything's yes, sir. So she's taking the high road of just really letting everything go. And I was raised by a biker who was very, I told you to do this. You need to do it now and hurry up and move forward. But a lot of mine comes from, you know, just the divorce in general, getting divorced from my ex-wife, 
who she wasn't a good wife, but she's a really great mom. She's one of those people. Yeah. Her emotional standpoint wasn't really there. How how old were you when you guys got married? Uh, we were nineteen when we got married. Um, right out the gate, we'd lived together for a year, and then decided to get married. We got divorced at twenty five uh, four. Yeah. Is when she filed for divorce. That's really young. That's like Ariana Grande's age. Yeah. Um, that's like Ariana Grande level of mistakes there yeah, too. Yeah, like thinking <laughs> next. Yeah. But Mac Miller was not a part of my life, so hundred percent thank God for that. Yeah, I don't even. I didn't know who Mac Miller was until he died. He died. And that's like me with like Little Pump and like Triple X Tantion. I was like, who the fuck? Except- I like to pronounce it differently every time I read it. Uh, Triple X Tentacles? You know those guys. Yeah. I I mean, people really love these people when they die. I feel like it's the exact same way, especially in death, like for Michael Jackson. When Michael Jackson died, you started hearing he was the greatest man in history. But when he was alive... But... I guess the way it is is they want to believe that this person that was alive was the greatest person that ever lived. Uh, yeah, well, it's like obituary syndrome. Yeah, it's like that, like, especially with my dad and stuff like that, too. Like, my dad, though. My dad is, hands down, the worst person I've ever met in my life. All right, so before he died, he told me, he's like, son, I want to be buried face down, naked. In a cardboard box. Dad, that's the dream. But I can't go to Home Depot. <laughs> Imagine asking for that. It's like, do you have like a refrigerator box or something corrugated? <laughs> so, all right. So the day came. I finally got the call. My dad died. And I, I got the call. July 4th, 2014, my father passed away. In the most gangster way possible. This motherfucker took 27 Klonopin, 30 Laura tabs, and drank a liter of Jack Daniels and just kind of went to sleep. (laughs) Now let me tell you the part that gets me. The whole liter of Jack Daniels? The whole liter. Like after one hit, you're like, okay, these are going down smooth. But did he just buy the bottle and refuse to save money? Look at the fuck. Okay, so uh, I get the phone call. Dad died. And I was like, fuck, all right, here we go with this conversation. So I get there, and I'm my dad's only kid. And they're like, all right, let me show you the casket book. So I break it out. Well, they break it out, and it's like expensive, expensive. Sir, this is not what my father asked for. (laughs) Like, do you have something corrugated? He's like, what? I was like, cardboard. You have a cardboard box? And he goes... We don't do that. And I was like, listen, motherfucker. This was my dad's dying wish. Get the deal. He's like, well, we have a liner. Which led me to, who brought it back? Like, who brought back the damn casket to give you a liner to put the body in? That just took me by storm. So, they set it up. They do the funeral. And then the cops were called at the funeral. Like, how fucking white trash can we be in 11 minutes? I know it's not a Christmas in the Singleton household unless the cops are there, but can we at least get past the funeral? They said, okay, and my Uncle Raymond opened a beer. Um, The crazy thing about that whole thing is when I wanted to write the joke about my dad's death, I wanted it to be from my point of view. I wanted to suck everybody in with what I was dealing with. Because when my dad came to me and had this conversation, we had this conversation on July 2nd, 2014. He called me and he told me that there's going to be a day where I'm going to get a phone call that he's not going to be here anymore. And this is what he wanted. Cue the clip. The clip is verbatim with my dad said he wanted to be buried pantsless. He wanted his ass to be showing. He wanted to be buried in reverse. Was this like a, was this like just a really bizarrely eloquent, like, drunk rant? No, uh, he got diagnosed with Parkinson's that day. Oh. So when he got diagnosed with Parkinson's, he had an out. Um, I say it, it's my dad committed suicide. He took his own life. 
So when he told me, I looked at my ex-wife and I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. She's like, well, she's like, well, it's probably just one of his just rants. Ignore it. But he didn't tell me about the Parkinson's thing. I had to find that out when we were setting everything up for the funeral. And then two days later, I get a phone call. And we were at the wharf. And we, it was July 4th. We were at the fireworks show. We leave the fireworks show and we go to the Shell station. And this is verbatim how I found out my dad died. Phone rings. It's my mother. And at the time, my mother didn't call me. All right, Mom, who died? Your dad. And then hung up the phone. And then I'm just like, the fuck just happened? Wow. Yeah, dude, it was heavy. Yeah. And uh, I, like, fall to the side of the car, and I'm, like, crying. And my ex-wife looked at me, and she goes, oh, it can't be that bad. What's the problem? Oh. Ouch. Terrible wife. <laughs> Great mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, I, I think my dad just died. And so she called her back, and she stayed on the phone with her and talked to my mom, and I was in pieces. I got home. Before I got home, they tried to take me to do something to cheer me up. And my dad was an avid Leonard Skinner, so he loved everything about him. He took me to nine Leonard Skinner concerts before I was 14 years old. And that's because, to quote him... It's cheaper to take you to the concert than it is to pay for a goddamn babysitter. Well, I mean, that is logical. <laughs> so, we walk in, and the very first thing that's playing on the radio is Curtis Lowe by Leonard Skinner. Full circle. Which immediately threw back every memory of my dad. Yeah. Um, so, writing it was my last effort to... Kind of let it go. Um, my kid's at this age where he's five and everything's about death. I don't want to die. What's dying? Die, die. And so for like two weeks, he used to walk up to me and go, Daddy, did your dad die? Because I don't ever see him. Is he dead? And I was like, all right, so the only way I'm going to be okay with this is if I actually write a joke about it. Because I believe that all turmoil should be made positive, you know? Yeah, you could process it literally by processing it into something else. It's like alchemy. Yeah. Um, but it's that whole the world keeps turning thing. Yeah. We buried Dad on July 11th. July 12th, I went back to work. And they asked me why I was back at work, and I was like, well, he may be dead, but my life goes on. Yeah, and it's actually kind of, sometimes it's weird when you're grieving to, uh, to lock yourself away too much. Yeah, people start worrying. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Like, I was getting phone calls from people that I haven't talked to in years. And they're like, hey, man, how you doing? I was like, don't you owe me 20 bucks? Why are you calling? <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> Not for the 20 bucks. <laughs> um, so you actually, you had cancer. So it's like you've got a lot of things in your young life that have made you confront death. In a really heavy way. Yeah. And so I got I got diagnosed with cancer in April April 2017. Stage 1A non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's not going to kill me. But I was really scared because at the same time I was going through my divorce. The ex-wife filed for divorce in March of 2017. So a month later, I'm in the hospital with cancer. Kept it to myself for the first three or four months. I was moving to Louisiana, decided I, I didn't want to do that. So in the mover's truck, I literally drive back to Alabama. And I got here, uh, I went and stayed with one of my buddies, and I started going through treatments. And the craziest thing that ever happened to me in treatments was they stuck me next to this, like, 70-year-old man who had no sense of humor. What-so-fucking-ever. It was one of those, nah, just leave me here. Eventually, I'm gonna die. It was, like, one of those situations. Like in the chemo room? Yeah. So, uh, oh, yeah. so 
when they would hook you up to chemo, mine was like a weird fucking color. And when they'd hook you up to chemo, there was either someone with you, mm-hmm. with like a, a a curtain in between you. Yeah, chemo or, buddies. Yeah. It's it's like you're getting your nails done. <laughs> it's lean back, you're gonna love it. <laughs> and they would put on the TV. And whoever got there first got the remote. What? That's fucked up. That's like Lord of the Flies. Dude, I've seen every fucking John Wayne movie ever made because of this shit. Because this guy was just like, quiet, watching my picture. (laughs) Can he die? (laughs) Like, hurry up and... You have have stage four pancreatic cancer. Let go. (laughs) Let go of the remote. Literally. Just let go. When uh, my mom was getting chemo, they did not have TVs, but I did always get the immediate sense that, like, we're having too much fun in this death room. Because, like, we would just show it with my mom and, like, watch, like, Usher music videos <laughs> and stupid shit, and I'd bring in some fried chicken and sneak her a very tiny piece, and then everyone would get mad at me, and I'm like, why are, why are you Because they're on a very strict diet. Yeah. What kind of cancer did your mother have? She had, she had, uh, well, she, I guess she still has it kind of. She's like stage four breast cancer and bone cancer. Okay. For my non-Hodgkins, they put me on a very like low plant-based diet, um, low protein, plant-based. So there's a lot of new studies that are coming out now that's finding that eating healthy and positivity helps people. So one of the things that would happen is I would go in every day and they would be, all right, so when you're better, when you're over this. When this is done, it was never if. Mm-hmm. It was never maybe. It was always when. And I would mess with the nurses after fucking old Jethro would get the hell out of the room. Um, I would mess with the nurses. And one of the very first times I thought about doing stand-up was when I was sitting in there. And there, one of the ladies asked me, they're like, what have you always liked? And I was like, I've always liked comedy. I've always liked making people laugh. And she's like, well, you make us laugh daily. So what are you going to do about it? Probably nothing. I don't find myself interesting at all. So what the hell would I write about? And I wrote my first joke when I was sitting in there. And that was a joke about my ex-wife, which is... uh, My ex-wife always thought she deserved to be treated like a princess. And apparently, offering to put her in the passenger seat of my car and wreck her into the side of the tunnel like she's Diana is not (laughs) the princess she wanted to be treated like. That's good. So, like, I would tell that joke as just, like, banter to keep a conversation going. And people are like, oh, no, that's funny. That's funny. So you got to start writing stuff down. Uh, Yeah. And my first set, oh, dude, my first stand-up set, because I've only been doing this, it's August, eight months. I've been doing comedy since December of 2018. I got a pronounced cancer-free September 28th. 2017 and then my brother got married October 5th 2017 jam-packed year dude it was fucking crazy so I got put in the hospital for my body was starting to shut down pretty much so whenever they cure you of cancer they have to destroy your immune system before they can build it back up so they had destroyed my immune system I was I had nothing left and I was getting real sick. I got dying. I had laryngitis and pharyngitis at the exact same time. They stuck a tube down my throat and pulled it out. And it was just covered in like green mucus. Just from all of it being infected. And the doctor looked at me and he goes, by the time you're done with this, we're going to start kick-starting your immune system back. I didn't know that kick-starting your immune system back was two things of steroids daily. Wow. What did that do to your body? Made me gain 50 pounds. Yeah. And I'm currently trying to lose it, hence why I'm a fat shit. Like, um, because it was metabolic steroids, which is fine. I mean, I thank thank them for doing it. They did it two weeks straight. Yeah. And then they walk in on September 27th, and they're like, you don't have cancer. They're like, your cancer's gone. How did that feel? Ecstatic. Um, Did you go to lunch afterwards or something? No, it took me a while to get back to eating junk food. Yeah. I was still stuck on that whole, my body's used to this thing. Um, The very first thing I did after I got pronounced cancer-free 
was I ate an enchilada because I hadn't been able to eat them because they're covered in grease. And it's I had my buddy Matt's mom like cook enchiladas for dinner. Mm, mom chiladas. Mom chiladas. Those are the bro. best kind, man. <laughs> it was the best because at the point I was living off of like baked chicken and greens. It was, I call that the low point of my life. I mean, yeah, I would too. <laughs> <laughs> but my brother was so afraid that I was gonna miss his wedding because we were in the we were in there, just in there. We were in the yard. Yeah, well, what what a party faux pas. You know, well, I mean. <laughs> First, I, mean, yeah, I was the best that. man in my brother's wedding. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was like, are you going to make it? I'm like, probably not. He's like, well, I was like, I don't want to come. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm doing, you don't understand. I'm only in here because I keep paying them so they'll help me skip your wedding. <laughs> I don't like weddings. I call them funerals. <laughs> this is the greatest cancer hoax of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you don't even know. <laughs> You think you're excited. I've been forking out money for this entire process. Giving off fake exams and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so cancer was really kind of the origin of who you are as a comedian. Yeah, I found a funny in a dark place. Yeah. Um, my mind kept going to this really like dark set of when I die, when I die. And the only thing that was keeping me going is I had a three-year-old at the time who I never told I had cancer. To this day, he doesn't know, nor will he ever know. I don't want to look weak to my child. I mean, I feel like when he's 12, it's like if he heard that story, that would make you look really strong. Daddy is his superhero. But you're gonna turn into a human eventually. But right now, Daddy is, like, okay. my kid's obsessed with Spider-Man. You and have to if be Spider-Man? That's such an impossible beauty standard. I need some goddamn silly string. <laughs> but you shouldn't wear unitars. <laughs> but Jack Jack has if you ask Jack Jack who his favorite person in the world is, if you ask him who he loves more than anything, yes, he lives with his mom, but it's dad. It's always been dad. So I would set up chemo around Jackson. I would make sure I set up doctor's appointments around Jackson. Uh, when I got put in the hospital on September 14th, I had Jackson. I went in because my body was starting to get covered in these hives. And when they when I get there, they, they do the, the ER questionnaire. Or do you have this? Do you have this? And the moment I said cancer, they thought, oh, he's having a bad reaction to the medicine. Come to find out. Yes, they took me off the medicine. They started other medicine, and two weeks later, I get it pronounced cancer-free. But my body had developed an allergy to onions. Interesting. So apparently, I didn't know this could happen, but you can actually develop allergies after they kill your immune system. I've heard of people developing allergies after like major hormonal changes, like pregnancy or menopause. So that kind of makes sense. So. You know? Now I'm not allowed, well, if I take Zyrtec daily, but I have to watch what I eat. How the fuck do you avoid onions? I have to take Zyrtec daily. <laughs> like yeah, my... yeah, you're a chef, so it's like you're always oh my God, there's balls a deep in onions. <laughs> I have to test everything. Like you have to taste every sauce you make. You have yeah. to taste every. I just walk up to my head chef and I'm like, can you try this? <laughs> can you tell me if this is good? And he looked at me, he's like, Chris, you're getting me full. Stop <laughs> problem yeah there was this famous mathematician who started to go crazy and he thought that everyone was trying to poison him so he used to make his wife taste test all of his food side note it was his wife that was trying to poison him yeah but she would wait until after he did as opposed to one man's delusion so speaking of um of marriages and things and families and whatnot um so you, you've dealt with a whole lot of shit in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, how the fuck do you balance your family life, your fucking day job, and then this comedy thing you've been doing? I don't. <laughs> I don't. Um, I've, we've really been gung-ho lately in comedy. The Mobile Comedy Festival just wrapped up a week ago. And I had a gig literally every night. Every night I had something that I was doing. Yeah. 
And so it became like I was a stranger in my own home. I would leave before everybody got up in the morning. I'd go to work. I'd come home when there was no one there. I'd take a quick shower just to go back out again and beat and come home when everybody's asleep. So it was just like, there's a note, food in the microwave, enjoy, night, bye. So anybody that tells you that being an adult is easy is a lie. It's tiring. It's hard. I went two days without sleep during the comedy festival. I believe you also went a couple of days without sleep yeah, during the comedy I festival. Yeah, I was um, hanging out with Ryan D. Adams, who got second place. and um, Amazing comic. We did our first podcast about him, uh, which is really good. Check it out. Um, but yeah, I was just, I wasn't even in the comedy festival. I was just driving him while also managing my job, while also making sure like he got to his job because he was working nights after every time he performed, he would have to get to work and like, he can't drive his car if he's had anything to drink. So it's like, I was driving him. And stuff. And I mean, I wanted to do it because it's like, this is some shit he would do for me. Right. He's a good dude. So it's like, I wanted to do it for him. Um, I just, it was... It was tiring. Call it, it what it was. It tired us all out. Yeah. I feel like everyone is having a massive come down. I think what it came down to was we were thrown in with so many people's energy. Like, we were thrown in, literally, head first, into a crowd of people, night after night after night after night. And it became like it drained us. Because I slept for like 17 hours when I finally got to go to sleep. Like fully. And I locked myself in the room. The girlfriend didn't see me for like two days. And she was like, what's going on with you? I was like, I just want to be by myself. I don't want anybody messing with me. I just want some alone time. And she's the one that pointed it out. She's She's like, you probably just have like a people overload. It's kind of hard being an introvert, extrovert. Like, I'm yeah. both. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can relate to that. I, I can have a conversation with anyone, but at some point I'm just like, I've had enough, and I just want to go home. The come down, it kind of reminds me of, like, of like strippers after Mardi Gras is over. It's like you're a rock star. <laughs> a couple weeks you're a fucking rock star, but you're draining everything you have in you, not sleeping, and then afterwards it's just like months of nothing. There was a story that used to go around about Robin Williams, where Robin Williams would get on stage and he's just loaded with all this energy. Hell, he's probably the greatest comedian of all time. And he'd get on stage and he'd just hit everybody with whatever came off the top of his head. Mm -hmm. And then after he'd get off stage, he'd go and lock his room and he'd sit by himself for two hours and just depress. Just like get all this crap out of him so he can go out and deal with people again. And I think whenever you're a comedian, that's a big part of it. The problem with doing open mics the way we have is we get on stage, then get off stage, and then watch somebody else. When you get on stage and you've had a terrible set, we've all have had them, and you do your terrible set, and you get off stage, you beat yourself up. It is, I've seen every comic do it that I've been around. And you'll hear somebody go, man, this crowd is terrible tonight. That's them going, man, I was terrible tonight. Yeah, they're, they're projecting it. It's it's just what... But it's coping. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, between that and then whatever you've got going home on in your personal life, it, dude, it wears you down. So I don't, I don't handle it very well. I'm getting to the point where I can juggle it. I, uh, I've had to turn down shows, of course. I've, I had to turn down work days. But at the end of the day, no matter what I do, is I'm still a dad. So if I spend all my time doing comedy and I still work my 8 to 4 job every day, I get off at 4 o'clock, I'm going home and I'm still a dad. There's still somebody at home relying on me, needing me. Because Lord knows them kids can't fucking cook and they'll burn my goddamn house down. Like, I have a five-year-old son and he is accidentally the funniest damn person I've ever met in my life. All right, my son's last name starts with an S. So when he did a preschool graduation, they asked them all what they wanted to be when they grew up. 
Jackson's last name starts with an S. He had a while to think about his answer. You get fireman, you get cop, you get firefighter. They get the jack, and he looked at them and said, Spider-Man. <laughs> that motherfucker thought about that answer. Which led me to the thought. He's got the exact same chance of being Spider-Man that the rest of them little fucking kids have of being lawyers. So when you see him out there fighting on the five o'clock news, just know you're welcome. <laughs> downtown Mobile is very open to anything. That's what I love about downtown Mobile. That's why I love working down there. That's why I love doing comedy down there. They, you can meet, you can hit one block, meet the gayest man you've ever met in your life and then hit another block and there's a guy walking around with cowboy boots and a five gallon hat shout out to the saddle up saloon you know, like, <laughs> fucking on craigslist because apparently everyone on craigslist is having straight guy meetings side note they've taken down the man for man women for women they, yeah they take it down the actual personals you know it's all moved to misconnections and activity partners i still check it every day wait what Everything has moved. Okay, this is what you do. So you have to frame it as a missed connection. Like say, say, okay, I'm looking for some guys to go fishing with. You, you, see, you make your ad be like, I sure do miss those guys I used to go fishing with with the long poles. Used to just fish them for those fish. We were all just straight guys, no weird stuff, disease free. Oh, okay. proportional. I expect you to be too. No weird stuff. God, I've, I've really been off the internet dating scene for like two years. <laughs> I, I've never like really internet dated, but I always check Craigslist because I just like to now, look vicariously. Back in the day, the misconnections tab on Craigslist was like, I was in Walmart buying socks. Dude, it's always in grocery stores. <laughs> it's like you were in Walmart and you had your wife and two kids with you. And I looked at you, and you looked at me, too. And you looked at me, but maybe you weren't looking to me. Maybe you were trying to tell your wife that the exit is over there. Or it'll be like, cute 19-year-old blonde cashier at Dollar General who smiled at me. I thought we had a connection. You definitely will know who I am, even though you get hit on 40 times a day. I, uh, I felt your hand graze mine as you handed me my bag that held tampons. And bad decisions. <laughs> like, I saw one of them once that was like, um, I need someone to help me rearrange my mannequins and move their limbs and put different outfits on them. So now we've got to talk about my mannequins. Yeah. Look, everybody mannequins. needs love, okay? And some of us, no. No, mannequins, <laughs> mannequins are cool. Have you seen the weird... Alright, so, side note. I am highly obsessed with... Uh, my Weird Addiction, like those shows. I, I think the, the My Strange Addiction yes. show, I'm pretty sure it's fucking scripted, dude. That's fine, it can be scripted, but My Strange Addiction, like the episode where the guy was like fucking his car. <gasps> I love the guys that fuck the cars. Like any guy. Oh my god, or like the women that fuck the Eiffel Tower. And they're like, what do you do? Well, there's a lot of rubbing. Yeah. It's like, what do you think sex is? <laughs> they, like, they like, walk out wearing like a, a grandma skirt and they just sort of like... Mount a, mount a portion and the camera is just lingering and the kids are walking by and it's just like you can't see what she's doing but she's like flexing those pussy muscles on that thing <laughs> hey hey you don't judge her okay don't you kink shame her for I mean, she's at least she's getting laid at least she's getting laid. <laughs> at least somebody in this house is fucking <laughs> <laughs> at least the Eiffel Tower is getting laid by its multiple fucking wives there's a good YouTube documentary though about um these two guys that kind of meet up because they both like fucking cars and one of them's a young guy and the other's an older guy and they're gonna go to this big like car show that apparently some car fuckers walk around and like fuck the cars at night and um, they go on this great road trip together and they don't really have a whole lot in common because they're really different dudes and like the very last scene in the movie um, one of the guys looks at the other he's like so you know that one night that like blah 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 and blah blah yeah uh did did you fuck my car? Uh, yeah, man. Fuck your car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people are weird. <laughs> All right, so how are you doing now a week later after the comedy festival? I'm tired. I'm You're very still tired. tired? I'm, so, I'm still tired. Still I'm, tired. Work gave me four days off in a row hoping that maybe I would get some rest. Did you? I'm on day number two. 
Of not sleeping? No, of rest. Of rest, okay. Tomorrow, luckily, the girlfriend works all day. The kids will be at school. And I'm sleeping in until like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm, I'm, I'm coming around. I'm getting back into my mindset I was in before. Mm-hmm. I took the girlfriend on a date earlier today. It wasn't much, but still it was something. Yeah, that's good. It's healthy. <laughs> yeah. I, I wholeheartedly believe that if you're going to be with someone, you should still date them. Yes. I, I'll tell her occasionally, be like, all right, um, make sure you're dressed. I get home at this time. Why? What are we doing? Just make sure you're dressed. And then we'll go out and we'll have a nice romantic dinner. Her favorite restaurant is a place called Boudreaux's on, in Daphne on the causeway overlooking the water so i'll take her there that sounds really nice it's i'm a terrible person but i'm a good boyfriend see okay what i think is funny is you keep saying like when i asked you how you're managing juggling all this you keep saying that like you're really bad at it and then you say shit like that which shows like an obvious effort to formulate some kind of tactic to like manage it well i haven't done that today we went and ate chinese food today we sat we ate chinese food but last week, I couldn't form two thoughts towards managing my free time. I literally just wanted to not be at the house because I was so used to not being at the yeah. house. So now I'm at this point where I'm just like, all right, I'm back in my mindset. This this was only a short time. I need to get back into my my long time focus i need to shift my main concerns back from here to here but luckily i'm using all this time i guess to write a new set new comedy set i feel like i've ran that old one into the ground i feel like a lot of people walked away like everyone i talked to at the comedy festival even comedians that weren't in it they all walked away saying i need to get ready for next year like i need to I need to come up with new material. Like, they all walked away with kind of a fire under their ass. That's because some comics came out and they came out full blast. Yeah, they really, like, like pulled their dick out. And, like, Dude, they dropped they, it on the, on the stage. It hit the... Yeah. The, Joe Carlisle, the guy that won it, mm-hmm. he won it because he literally got up there and went, look at my dick, and just hit it out yeah. on the fucking stage. Ryan, the same thing. The first night... Ryan's first round, I haven't seen him perform like that in a really long time. Like, he looked like he was just happy to be up there. He was just enjoying and being And everything up there. flowed. It just, it hit and hit. Jade Green, another fucking great comedian. Our round, I got off stage to one of the biggest applause I've ever gotten in my life. And people were like chanting my name. At the end, when the results came out, because they were upset with the results, and Jay Green walked off, walked past me as I was getting off stage, and he's like, "Dude, you just placed," and I was like, "No, I didn't," because all that matters is at the end result. I went fifth. There were four more comedians coming on after me, and then Jade Green went up there and just destroyed the house. Well, Jade Green has this very Mitch Hedberg, like swagger about him. Yeah, he he uses the space of the stage. Yeah, so well. he he balls up into like a ball in one of his jokes, and I can't breathe. Like yeah, I'm laughing. He's the new yoga teacher in town. <laughs> <laughs> he's teaching us how to like lay down and not check our mail. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, but he started to show off. The very first thing he says is, "I don't like sex because it's either clit or miss." And the moment he said that, he captured because the room was filled with nothing but women. Yeah. He captured all those women, and he brought them in, and he made a little pillow, and he laid his head on <laughs> and they snuggled in tight, like, but it was, it was an experience. It's something that someone who's been doing comedy with my amount of experience, at the time it was like seven months, there was no way I should have gotten up there and did as good as I did, and I got told that all throughout the week. It's like, don't expect this, don't expect that. I was like, I just want to get up there and have a good set. And I get up there and I killed the house. And then they were coming up to me. They're like, oh, don't let this go to your head. 
Don't let this go to your head. You shouldn't be this funny this fast. I've been hearing that for a while. I feel like a lot of that is... I mean, some of it's sage advice, and I feel like a lot of it's probably their kind of... Everyone's always on a shaky ground, I think. Well... How they feel about themselves. Let's look at my comedy compared to a lot of the other comedians' comedy. Mm -hmm. I don't do dick and fart jokes. I do one dick joke, period, and... It, it's about how my dad was potty training me and he used to tell me if your Peter's too short and your pumper's too weak, stand a little closer for you pee on your feet. And I didn't know I'd be using that expression throughout my whole life. It's literally just a dick joke, just making fun of me for having a small penis. But that is, see, that's more than a dick joke because it is, it is a joke about dick. Right. That's different. It's like, it, it's like when you make a joke about Princess Diana, it's like... It, it's a dying man telling us this joke, kind of. You know, it's not like it's not like you're just this stupid dude being a dick. I did a joke to one of the comedians this week, and I told him, I was like, this is how you should start your set. And it's, hey, what's the best way to get bubble gum out of your hair? Chemo. <laughs> That's really good. Thank you. I write jokes sometimes, not even in my style. I write it in somebody else's style. There's another comedian by the name of Crocodile who does these jokes where it's very, I'm tired of white people, blah, 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 blah. And I wrote this whole entire bit, well, I'm writing this whole entire bit about fur babies. I'm tired of white people saying they have fur babies. And I wrote it in the style of Crocodile. And I was like, I need to give him this joke. And then the girl, my girlfriend told me, she's like, no, you need to change it. Because my, my comedy is very real. When you hear it, you relate to it. It's literal. It's, this is what's happened. Um, this is what could probably happen to you. <clears throat> it's literally like a dad getting on stage and ranting. It's what it is. That's why I immediately liked your work. Well, thank you. I, uh, I, I've... I've made a small fan base in Mobile, and a lot of it has to do with the comedy festival, and a lot of it has to do with my comedy style. Look at the greatest com comedians there were. There's Robin Williams, who's very real. Like, besides all the ad-libbing he does, his actual comedy is very real. Mm -hmm. George Carlin, Richard Pryor, these guys would get on stage, and they would tell you stories, and they would tell you how they dealt with shit. They wouldn't do dick and fart jokes for 45 minutes. It's a catharsis. Pretty much. It's it's dealing. It's what it is. It's dealing with the shit that's been laid out in front of you. And going through the shit that I've gone through, dad's death, cancer, divorce, you, you start developing this, I don't want to say hatred for the outside world, but misplaced. You don't feel like you don't belong anymore. You feel jaded. You feel dark. Yeah. You feel like, what, what am I going to do next? Are you like a bad guy wrestler? Yes. Like you walk <laughs> I, after really I am the heel. <laughs> I am the villain. Uh, Toulouse was doing a joke before, because uh, the guy that went on stage before me at the comedy festival, Thomas Finley, great comedian. Oh, I love Thomas Finley. He's the best. When he's on, he's he, the best he guy. my socks. What, what? He can be the best guy in the room. He can be the worst guy in the room. But most of the time, he's the best guy in the room. He has a joke where he talks about deers and he ends it with, they graze, and I cannot fucking laugh. My favorite part about that joke specifically is when he says, I hate deer, and then he says, Specifically, I hate nature. It's like, that's not more specific, Thomas, but it's so fucking funny. All right, so Toulouse is like, all right, after this next comedian, Thomas, we're going to take a shot. And the only thing that could come to my mind is, yeah, because by the time I get off that stage, you're either going to need a psychiatrist or another shot. Because what I'm going to say is going to fuck you up. Like, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be in your face. And like... What else are you going to do? You're just going to shut up and listen. So anyway, he looked at me and he's like, Daddy, can I watch TV with you? And I was like, son, you're supposed to be in bed. And he's like, what are you watching? I was like, it's an adult movie. 
He goes, okay, so I put him back in bed. The next day, we got him a mom's house. And he's like, daddy watches adult movies. I was like, can I get in the fucking door first? And I was like, mom, not when he's in the house. Wait until he goes to daycare first. And then I close all the blinds and hide my own shame. <laughs> all right, guys, my name's Chris. Y'all have a good day. Epstein was murdered, but I don't think it would bother Clintons. I think if anybody killed Epstein. Yeah, it could be anybody. It could be the Saudis. It could be the, the I British. I think it was Donald Trump. It could be anybody. Donald Trump said in a 2002 it interview. It could be Barr. Ooh. I bet it was Barr because he was in there. In 2002, Donald Trump said in an interview that him and Jeffrey Epstein are best friends. They both like their girls young. Epstein mm-hmm. likes his girls a little younger. A little younger, yeah. That's 2002. Yeah. Well, you know what I think is fucked up. Um, I, mean, I love that, that this is turned into conspiracy hour with Jimmy. Not to give more merit to the whole the Clinton thing, um, but like, okay, so Hillary Clinton, not Hillary Clinton, but Chelsea Clinton. Chelsea Clinton was good friends with Gislaine Maxwell, whose name is Gislaine. Gislaine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's best friends, not best friends, but they're, she, they're, she's buddies with Gislaine Maxwell. She introduced Ghislaine Maxwell to her dad, Bill Clinton. And then Ghislaine, being Ghislaine, just Ghislaining, uh, introduces Bill Clinton to Epstein. And then they all go on a plane together with Chris Tucker for some reason. What the fuck was Chris Tucker doing there? And they were going to Africa. So you gotta take a black man to Africa? Chris Tucker, hey. I guess, would have had some involvement in charity in Africa. Hey! And then they all took a plane to Africa. What year was this? It had to be like 2006 or something. I don't remember. Well, it had to be one of those years where Chris Tucker wasn't doing anything. Who's the most least known black man you know that does comedy or aid in Africa? It's like Chris Tucker. It's like, get him. (laughs) I saw his Netflix special. He was fucking hilarious. good. I liked it. I actually, like, I found it refreshing. Like, it wasn't like, oh my god, amazing. But I found it like, just like, a really refreshing, nice, overall and like like he did a Michael Jackson joke that was loving somehow he's been doing a Michael Jackson joke for 20 years yeah in the first rush hour he does a thing where he shoots a car the car blows up and then he does the Michael Jackson kick and the shoulder shake and Michael called him and told him he was kicking with the wrong leg to stop doing it it was making him look bad like (laughs) him and Michael Jackson were best friends towards the end of Michael Jackson's life but this goes back to another conversation we were having earlier martyrs you make people martyrs when they're dead. Like, yeah. people people think my dad was the greatest man to ever live. At my dad's funeral, the funeral went story, joke, crying, story, joke, crying. And the only thing I could think of was this man was terrible. This man, drug addict my entire life. Addicted to drugs. Put me in situations when I was eight or nine years old that I should have been in. He used to take me to the drug dealer's house to buy crack. And leave me in the front room to play chess. He beat the shit out of my mom on numerous occasions. Oh God, my mom, that's a different can of worms. Yeah. Um, But everybody would talk about him like he was the greatest man alive. My mother, to this day, would call me and talk to me about how my dad's the greatest man alive. And I'm just like, Mom, did you forget about everything? But it goes back to making martyrs out of someone who has passed away. You want to believe that they were a good person. Most of them weren't. Um, And even if they were, I mean, a lot of people are half good. Yeah. They have good qualities, good tendencies. Yeah. You can have good tendencies or good motives all day long, but it doesn't mean you're a good person. Yeah, that's true. What do you think makes someone a good person? You have to have, like, values. You have to care about what you're doing. Um, you've got to put other people before yourself, too. Like, if I say something to you, I've got to think about what it's going to reflect to you as a person. Mm-hmm. I've got to care about how you're going to take that information I'm giving you. I used to have people tell me all the time I don't have a filter. There's no filter between my brain and my mouth. Well, obviously, there is a filter because not a lot of people have bad things to say about me. For the most part, anybody who's ever met me is like, oh, that's a good dude. Good dude. 
But that's what it goes. It goes back to just being human. Just just being a human being. I think the values thing is huge. And I think that's something that becomes crushingly apparent as you, like, enter your 20s, mid-20s, um, is that, you know, when you're a kid, you can have friends, friendships based on many things. As you get older, I think you have to really look at who you're hang- spending the most time around and what their values are and what your values are. Yeah. I, a lot of my values come from, like, my Christian upbringing, though. I was raised diehard Pentecostal. Diehard Pentecostal. Uh, long hairs, women's wear skirts. I was forced to go to church every Sunday and Wednesday. My did mother. Did you speak in tongues? I didn't. Like, I, d- I don't. I was kind of out of the loop early in life. Wholeheartedly believe it. So, like, the Holy Spirit wasn't talking it, to you? Well, it wasn't a thing for me. Yeah. Um, my mom used to force us to go to church. My mom, love her to death, but she is, like, very religious. Mm-hmm. And the, there was people that would just start shouting. I remember it. They would just start shouting. A language I don't understand. And then all of a sudden, somebody from the back of the room just understand everything this person just said. And they were going to get on stage and recite what they said in a microphone. And I was like, either this is really staged, or that guy is making up every fucking word he's saying right now. <laughs> this is me at 12 or 13 years old. That's kind of brilliant improv on their part, though. I mean, good for them. I mean, they're doing a better fucking job than I am. <laughs> but it, they really beat the religion out of you, especially in hardcore churches. Um... I went to, like I said, Pentecostals, Oak Park Church of God. And we were seen as the poor family. Because we didn't show up in our three-piece suits. I showed up with in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. And we were known as the poor family. And everything that we did, they are like, oh, can you afford to do this? Oh, God. Yeah, it was like that kind of, There was a lot of snide comments. Yeah. So, yeah, they, like, emotionally beat the Jesus out of us. It's so weird. Like, Alabama is so like that when it comes to religion. But then even if you're in the same religion or the same religion group, it's like there's so much unspoken hierarchy. Oh, dude, the worst people in the world are the people in the higher-ups of the church. They are the... They will look down on you. They will spit on you. These are the same people that are like, what would Jesus do? They would not be acting like you, Sharon. Like, God damn. Sharon. Fucking have it like the Sharon to this day. Get the fuck out of here with that potato salad, (laughs) Sharon. (laughs) Tell Karen to get out of here with her fucking dry-ass green beans. (laughs) Yeah. But it was was just different, you know? Mm -hmm. I... I compare, like, my background to, like, some of my friends. And, of course, there's similarities. Like, not only were we raised Christian, we were also raised very, very white trash. Uh, my dad saved up money to go to a Billy Ray Cyrus concert. Like, that's that's not a joke. He saved up for two years to go to a Billy Ray Cyrus concert. Dude, country concerts, for some reason, like, okay... If you want to see your famous country star, it is so much easier to see, see like, your favorite band at, like, a Lollapalooza festival or something like that. Country stars with the big ones, you always got to dish out ridiculous money for arena seats. $125 or... Yeah. And... And what the fuck? That's supposed to be the working man's music. It's, it's I'm not. I'm going to have to sell my truck. <laughs> I have to sell my truck I'm singing about. <laughs> so I can go, but, like, dad was fucked up, but mom was worse. Like, dad was fucked up mentally. Mm -hmm. Dad was fucked up, like, do this or shut the fuck up. Like, dad was a very big biker. Mom was fucked up by she overlooked a lot of things. Like, the church stuff. She overlooked it. Oh, honey, that's just how they act. Let that go. Or 19 of us living in one house. Yeah. Because... Our cousins couldn't afford rent. Well, my aunt couldn't afford rent, so all of us were living in one house. People just sleeping all over the house. 
Like, our favorite day as kids was food stamp day. Because it was the one day we knew my mom wasn't going to cook. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, my mom was a great cook. She would just always make too much food. Yeah. And. It seems like she was doing a lot. My mom. A lot. My mom. My mom was a superhero. She would get up, go to school, work at 9 o'clock, come home by 10, 11, and then still make dinner and wake us up to feed us. But my mom was the goddamn superhero. So do you get anything from having watched that, like, as a parent? I get a lot of my drive from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm stuck in this whole, if you want it, and it's not something that's going to ruin your day or it's not something that's going to make your brain jello, then I'll do everything I can to get it for you. Christmas is a big time, especially in my house, because I go all out for my kids. Are you Santa Claus? No, I don't believe in Santa Claus, neither should they. Okay, so you don't do the Santa Claus thing. Fuck no. That's good, because honestly, okay, with the Santa You're Claus You're lying to your movie, kids, dude. What? This is what made me realize. When I was little, I saw that Tim Allen movie, The Santa Claus, as well as some other movies, and the premise of all these movies is that, okay, so the adults think Santa Claus doesn't exist, but actually, me, the little kid, I'm going to prove to them that it's real. Uh-huh. Why would you have that a premise for a movie if Santa Claus actually exists. So I deduced it logically really early on, and then I just didn't want to disappoint everyone, so I just pretended. I was the fifth of seven. Yeah. There wasn't a day that I believed in Santa Claus. Uh, my, my oldest sister's a bitch. <laughs> like, let's be honest, let's call it what she is. She's like 12 years older than I am. I'm 26. She's, she's 10 years older than I am. And she used to torture the piss out of me. Uh, and so there's no Santa Claus. There's no Easter Bunny. So I just never believed. Yeah. I don't remember ever. Can Santa get me? No. But I also caught on at a young age that our Christmas was whatever my mom could afford. Yeah. Um, I think that's why Santa Claus is kind of damaging. Because I remember being little and among the kids that did believe. Someone would be like, oh yeah, Santa Claus always brings us these things and it's like no Santa Claus just puts an orange in my sock (laughs) but like then it's like people are like trying to figure out like why does Santa Claus do this for these people and this for the other people but it's really a kind of a nice metaphor for life but you don't want to give that kid that we got the exact same thing every year I got a football and a bike until I was 11 years old and by the end of the day you have a fleet of bikes hold on hold on by the end of the day, the football would be popped because somebody had kicked it too all, too hard. English, not my first language. Or my bike became the parts bike that they would take tires off of, handlebars off of, and I'm left with a seat. <laughs> like, and that was like three weeks after Christmas. So the rest of the kids are riding around, and I'm just like, fucking okay. So I started riding a skateboard everywhere I went. But that was... That was Christmas in my household until I was like 12 years old. It was the exact same thing every year. So when I was like eight, I just stopped asking for stuff. Following the festival mm-hmm. and um, giving your own path as a comedian and the last couple crazy years you've had, um, what, where do you stand as a comedian right now and what is next for you? Right now, I, uh, I'm mainly just kind of enjoying it. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm not looking to make this a career I've mainly trying to expand like where I do my comedy I'm not trying to really get my name out there I'm trying to just like bring in my craft yeah a lot of comedians say find their voice I already know what my voice is yeah you clearly that's one of your strengths I, off the bat I know who I am my writing method is very bizarre I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell a joke to my girlfriend because I'm constantly either driving or working and I'm doing something and I'll think of something and I'll write it down. I'll tell a joke to my girlfriend and if she doesn't like it, I'll put it in my stand up because my girlfriend is very classy <laughs> and like very classy. She was, she's from Fairhope. Well, we love trash. Like, That's true. Let's be honest. Call I live it... in a palace of trash. <laughs> But you hone your trash, and that's all that matters. 
just be like I don't want to know <laughs> cuz it's teenage boy and 5 year old like oh, oh god uh, oh, and shit and come uh, <laughs> all he cares about now is pornos and cheetos that's all he cares about it's so weird <laughs> but I'm, I'm 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 liking the direction we're going so like, what about um the comedy scene in Mobile. Talk a little bit about that. Because it seems like there's a lot more shit going on and there's a lot of shit people don't know about. Okay. So the comedy scene in Mobile is really starting to pick up. That comedy fest was the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of venues that are interested in doing an actual present show where we have a headliner mm-hmm. and then we have a couple of people open. There's a couple of places that have, they want to be open mics. They want to give us more places to tell jokes. The com- I could have been thrown in with a greater group of guys. Carson Taylor is hands down one of the funniest guys. These are the smoky joke guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carson Taylor is hands down one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. He easily could be a nationally known comic. Easily. Compton, that that the dude's just—he runs shit. He's a ma- It's a masterpiece. Like, yeah. The way he's taken it and tweaked it, and Compton is the—I don't want to call him a promoter because that's not what he is—but he's the ultimate host. Yes. He's the ultimate welcome party. He's like he's like uh, like those old school politicians, their wives who actually run shit. That that's Compton. You know? Yeah. Behind, what you don't see behind closed doors is he's constantly on the phone. He's constantly connecting people with people. He's just a good dude. And putting together multiple shows. That's like, who's... All the fucking time. That's who keeps booking me. And he, Like, when he finds somebody he likes, he wants to zero in on. He wants to, hey, we're going to put you on this show. Let's see how you do. <coughs> because, I mean, if you can make Compton laugh... You can make anybody laugh. The dude has just heard everything. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to write a joke to make him laugh. And I've written a couple. But the continuance to the dad dying thing, it's whenever he told me how he wanted to be buried. I was like, yeah, dad, me too. I want a Viking funeral so me and my friends can get lit up one more time. <laughs> and like when the moment, first time I told that joke, I heard him go, ha, ha, ha. I was like, yes. Yeah. I made him laugh. Um, Daddy's laughing. Yeah. yeah. One of the two dads, as Ryan calls him. Um, and then there's Thomas, who's a gift. Truett Beasley is an experience. Yeah. There is not a single person in this world that is as funny as Truett Beasley. And that guy, I his set is a masterpiece. So there's a lot of hope for us right now. There's... There's also a lot of eagerness to see what's next. Yeah, I could definitely sense that from the comedy festival. The comedy festival, it was like one of those things. It was one of those weird, like, best week ever things. (laughs) It was the best week ever. Um, (laughs) It was... It was nice. We, We all felt appreciated. Um... Some of us, to a certain extent. Yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, we all felt appreciated. We felt like the person that won and the runner-up should have been the winner and the runner-up. Mm-hmm. I have I have mad respect for those guys. I have mad respect for Zeke and them for even coming up with the idea of doing a comedy festival. Yeah, it really, it, it has been stimulating. <coughs> like, at the end of the day, it's not even really so much about, like, who won and stuff. Like, it's about the overall stimulation to a community. I got home and had 45 friend requests on Facebook. That was just people in the audience adding me on Facebook. 
But I also have a problem where I'll go around and host and I'll just like meet people and like shake their hands, thank them for coming out because they literally could have done nothing else. Like, that's yeah. just who I am. I mean, that's good though. That's part of it. It's exhausting. <sighs> Talking yeah. about it's making me tired. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, so your next things, you're going to be at, uh, you're going to be at OK Bike Shop, September 16th, um, and you're going to be maybe at Mint on September 2nd, that one keeps yeah, getting Yeah, so the whole reason that one keeps getting kicked around Didn't is- someone get shot? Weston Watering Hole, they took all my good material, man. Uh, Alright, so the Weston Watering Hole, two people got shot, one guy died. And we were doing a show at the West End Watering Hole. The week of Comedy Festival. Tuesday night to kick off the whole festival. Mm -hmm. And I had written all these great jokes about shootings. Like, yeah, people were dying to get in this place. I heard it was a shoot. I mean, a who? Like, yeah. I had all this stuff ready. <laughs> and then they were like, we're moving it. The guys over at the Mint Hookah Bar are really excited to have us come. Okay. There went all my good ass material. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throw that out the damn window. But they they wanted the safety of the comedians and the people that come out. So I Yeah, that I, makes a lot of fucking sense. I understood. Yeah. I appreciated it, but I don't think I don't think the venue was held responsible for the shooting. And with us not being there, it kind of You think it hurts the venue? A little bit. Yeah, I can see that. Because we brought in... That's tragic. We brought in a lot of people that night. Yeah. And That's just to, really sad. It's it's okay. I'm not going to complain. I get to do comedy. That's all I mm -hmm. want to do at the end of the day. Is just I want somebody to listen to me talk. Yeah. And... But the OK Bicycle Shop, we do a show this second Tuesday of every week, of every month. It's the second... We call it the second week show. Is that the one on the 16th? Yes. Yep. We call it the second week show because we'll all show up and you'll get not one, not two, but six comics that night. And I'll be one of them. I think uh, Ryan and Jade are two of the other ones. And anytime I can just sit and just listen to those guys hone their crafts, that's a good night. 